0: what's up everybody
1: welcome to the comet ml office hours it is sunday may 30th a long weekend in the states but i'm still happy that you guys have been able to make it here and hang out with us today Uh, we are powered by the artists of data science so i'm excited to be here and, and host this office hour session with you guys we got some good friends in the chat my friend, Kevin, Kevin's in the building. Austin is here. So is Kristoff. man. Good to see you guys here. I'm uh, excited to to get this officer session started, man. So how's everybody's week been
2: Just trying so, to figure out who the fool was to put a session on a Sunday on Memorial Day weekend yeah. for friend out
0: Yeah,
1: I'm in Canada. So it doesn't really matter to me what uh, what it is. And plus, man, if you're trying to get somewhere in life, it doesn't matter if it's a holiday or not. You show up and you ask the questions and you get the information you need to move ahead. That being said, I mean, it doesn't really really matter to me if it's a holiday or not. I'm still out here. I'm still grinding. I'm still grinding, man. Um, And plus, there's a lot of people in Europe, and I'm pretty sure they don't celebrate Memorial Day in Europe. Oh, there's that as well. It's been incredibly busy at work and with everything else. I had an opportunity uh, to interview several people this week for the podcast, uh, including Liz Fosslin, who wrote the book No Hard Feelings. You might recognize Liz from the work she does on Instagram under the handle Liz and Molly. She does these really cool, uh, illustrations and things like that. So I got a chance to ch- uh, chat with her, spoke to Jordan Ellenberg who wrote how not to be wrong power of mathematical thinking as well as shape. Uh, it was a really interesting conversation. And then one of my good friends, Arjun Sachdev got a chance to uh, interview him for my podcast for one of my conversation series episodes. I was talking to my buddy about this yesterday. Um, like, believe it or not, I don't have many friends. Uh, just just a few, and even those few that I do have i don 't get a chance to speak with them as much, but it dawned on me uh, yesterday that pretty much every conversation I have is recorded and made public in some way, shape, or form, uh, whether they're the the conversations i 'm having at work for this discovery phase i 'm doing for a project, all of those conversations get recorded, whether it is the office hours I do as part of a data science dream job, all of that stuff is recorded, the podcast, all those conversations are recorded, open office hours, everything is recorded. And uh, it, it just, it, it made me feel a little, little strange, but it, it keeps me honest, I guess. So you guys, yeah. you know, I'm not, I'm not bullshitting. I'm, I'm in, I'm in the streets out here with this data science stuff, man. Uh, I got but, a question um, for
3: you, Harpreet. Yeah. Harpreet, does that make you like want to actively change that a little bit? I mean, like coming out of the, like, you know, sort of coming out of the quote unquote pandemic and having more opportunities to see people and talk to people in different ways. Do you feel like you have a, a way to come out of that a little bit?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm hoping to to do more types of events where maybe we're doing them like, you know, in-person live type of events, but I know it's going to be hard given the the state of the world, but I mean, I, I do miss, I do miss being around people. That is, that is for sure, man. Cause I'm usually just around my wife and my baby, even though I love them very much. Um, I enjoy talking to everybody that I talk to through uh, through these office hours and stuff. But um, I mean, it, it's, it's tough when, uh, you don't have time for many close relationships because you know that all all of my time is is spent doing things right um i don't know just going off on a non-data science related topic there uh we could we could bring it back to uh today's science if you want but if anybody else is feeling this type of zoom fatigue this type of fatigue where you just feel like you're always having to interact with people on the screen and not in person like i i feel you like i'm you know, dealing with those same struggles. What about you, man? What's it like for you, Austin?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, so this was my third week at Comment um, as the head of community. So, um, you know, I've never met any of my team actually in person. Uh, we're all around the world. There's, we have an office in Israel that we just opened in New York City, and they're thinking about sort of expanding out west. Um, and I'm in the Boston area in the United States. So i looking forward to taking a train ride, you know, into New York and meeting some folks. But um, the onboarding remotely is a particular kind of Zoom fatigue where, on the one hand, I come in like with a lot of energy and I want to start really off well and, and make a good impression and sort of jump in and start, you know, hit the ground running. Cause I feel like I have a lot to, uh, there's a lot to do and a lot to, a lot to improve on what we do. Um, but then also sort of like trying to figure out where I fit into different conversations and that has its own sort of mental. Uh, fatigue. That's that's definitely related to Zoom and being distanced and things like that. So uh, overall, it's going really well, but I'm having a lot of fun with it. But it is, yeah, there's a certain kind of like um, uh, deflation almost of like starting a new job and not getting to like be in the office with people and, and be around folks. So I'm um, excited to like make it to New York and at least, you know, hey, these people are real and they're not just like on the other end of the screen for sure.
1: Yeah. That's something that I was talking to Liz Fossiline about. We, uh, we brought that up in our discussion for the podcast interview. It's like, you know, onboarding into a company during this pandemic, you know, era where everything is remote, but you're joining teams where people have formed those relationships one-on-one already. They've gone out to lunch, they get coffees together, they take breaks together and you don't get a chance to form those types of relationships can be tough. And, you know, we got to it's it's the responsibility falls on kind of both parties right make sure if if you have a new team member coming into your team um, that's working remotely just you know go out of your way to make that person feel welcome and let them know why you're excited for them to join the team Um, and on the flip side if you're joining a new new company um, find people to go message and chat with and do virtual coffee dates and stuff with because at the end of the day man we might be doing data science and machine learning but that doesn't mean that we automate away the human aspect of the work we do i think that's the most important part of uh of what we do um but yeah I'm, i'm excited to uh take some questions so if anybody has got questions go ahead and let me know um i see some new names here uh, well, Auntie's in the building. Auntie, how's it going, man? Uh, we got Rajat, we got Christoph. Uh, but Auntie, you go for it, man. Hi. How's it
4: going, man? Good. Um, no, no running today. Just the uh, outdoors gym. <laughs> yeah. Talk to us about this, exercise. Uh, talk to us about this interesting project.
1: So you posted a really cool uh, project about Disney movies, and it was like this tableau uh, dashboard. Talk to us about what. The, I'm more interested in how you decided to pursue that particular topic, right? Because I think that's something that um, we don't really get taught how to do. We might get taught how to use particular tools. We might get taught how to use particular methodologies and, and particular tools, but we're not really taught how to come up with an interesting problem to work on. And I think that's probably like the number one important thing that you should do or focus on rather when you're making a portfolio project is what is it that I am going to actually work on? so how you how did you come up with that that particular topic of of disney movies
4: um, funny enough it was i would say by chance um, this one and it 's not a project, but it was a challenge uh, one of these challenges I think it was onyx data that had posted it but I saw it from christina um, her linkedin page she i think she 's one of the judges so um that's how i saw it and i just thought that it was such a cool um subject matter um disney movies who doesn't love disney movies <laughs> so um that's why i tried to make my own i, I didn't do it in tableau i did i did it uh with power bi and the, even the questions for this one they were kind of you know ready um but still uh, <sighs> I don't want to be too harsh about this subject, but uh, one motivation for for me to do that, um, take part in that challenge was that I've seen these challenges and I see that people just throw everything at this dashboard or or, or, um, reports, like everything that they can find about the subject they will put in. And I'm I come from this whole other angle. Like, what was the question? Like, wh- what did they want us to do? Like, um, and only only report that. Yeah, I, so I seen try that, to try like, to be as yeah I try to be as sparse as I I I don't I don't know if that's the right word. Um. Yeah.
1: No. No. I, I like that. I like that approach. I like that methodology. Yeah. And uh, by the way, it sounds like wherever you are it must be an absolutely beautiful day because there's. Some it is. Nice, yeah. nice, nice harmonies in the background with those birds chirping. I'm um, just yeah. to put you on mute for the yeah, time cool. being, um, even though I love the sound of those birds. But one thing I do notice a lot is uh, anytime a uh, somebody's new to creating a project, they just use it as an opportunity to just dump everything that they know how to do into one notebook, which just kind of confuses the message and confuses the audience, right? Um, if you're doing a project and you've got your notebook up on GitHub, there's certain things that we don't need to see, right? I don't need to see the dot info. I don't need to see the head of the data frame. I don't need to see, you know, basic summary statistics, right? Just because it's something that you know how to do doesn't necessarily mean that it should be included in every single project because at the end of the day, you want to have a message that you're communicating through your project. And I imagine Austin, it's, it's probably the same like thing when you're working on writing projects, right? Like, like, you don't throw every single word, you know, if you're trying into an essay, if you're trying to write an essay, right? You have a point that you're trying to
3: make. Yeah. One of the hardest lessons I had to learn about um, communicating a message. Right. And I think that's what you're getting at, and whether it's through poetry or through essays or through fiction or whatever is that, um you know, yeah, I had to learn that lesson hard. I mean, when I first went into grad school, like all my poems were just like the most like cliche, like overly written uh, message to, to just say something very simple. And I found that um, the best moments were the, the, the moments of like really clarity that just like nailed down one thing very specifically. And I think that sort of relates here where like, what is the task at hand? Like, what is it you're actually trying to communicate and what's the best sort of means of doing that? Not just like, look at how I can communicate this in in so many different ways. Um, That was sort of, uh, I almost had to like take my ego out of it was what I found. It was like, once I kind of took myself out of it, it was like, maybe I do all that work to get to that distilled version of what it is um but that's what people need to see they need to see the distilled packaged version of of my thinking and my sort of uh you know wordplay and all that kind of stuff with poetry especially
1: and you know one one good way at least for data science projects i wonder i wonder if this is would be the same case for for writing is you want to just have a plan of attack a, a analysis plan set up front stating stipulating that these are the things that i i'm going to look at for this particular project these are the methodologies i'm going to use and this is my plan of attack right that way you have guardrails in place and i'm sure it's probably different with like creative writing you can't i don't know maybe maybe it's not maybe you do have like
3: sometimes when you're stuck it's good to give yourself um parameters you know whether it's i'm going to write this in sonnet form or i'm going to write this in um you know, five syllable lines, or there's so many forms you can choose or restrictions or sort of writing exercises. And I think like a lot of times when it's, I'm getting stuck, that's what I turn to. And I can imagine that being, being similar in a certain way. Yeah.
1: So let's open the floor up. If there's any questions whatsoever on anything whatsoever, I promise I will uh, try my best to answer. It might not necessarily have an answer for you, but I'm happy to open it up. So, uh, what's up to raja peter Christoph, Christoph? i know you're uh, hanging out having a good good evening i hope that's a good beer that you're enjoying there you're making me a little bit thirsty man uh wait wait until uh 4 p.m here so i could i could start to uh, start having me a little little sip of something uh but yeah let's let's see if uh, either raja or peter have uh, any questions by all means go for it the floor is open to you guys i could try to stall and see if uh I can come up with a question that we can do a round-robin topic on. Um, yeah, Christoph, go for it.
2: Um, hi, all. <laughs> um, I noticed uh, recently that I really enjoy writing, and I'd like to take advantage that Austin is now here. Uh, we had this topic, I think, like a month ago when you, Harpreet, uh, suggested to watch The Day You Became a Better Writer, I believe.
1: Yeah, by Scott Adams, Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: yeah. But I believe Austin has more tips so my question is how to become a better writer <laughs> and how to uh, be an effective writer because you you just mentioned that this is pretty difficult and i noticed it's difficult to to really cut down to a single topic in in a single mm. article or anything that i'd like to post and so mm. how do you do that yeah <laughs> I
3: think um, there's a few things. I think first is that whatever area that you're trying to um, write in, whether it's fiction or poetry or essays or reports or academic uh, writing, is to read people you admire um, in those areas and elsewhere too. I mean, just reading in in broad strokes gives you um, different sentence structures, different voices in your head. Um, And then the second thing is like is empathy for your audience um and it's just that's a skill that you can develop it's not just something you're born with or, or don't have um but it's really thinking about you know if my audience is is x um what's sort of the information that they need um and that can be especially if you're writing like a technical report or something like that it's sort of like uh you know okay what's the next thing and what's the next thing and what's the next thing um, and sort of working through it methodically and then um you know, in terms of, of writing, what I'd say is in practice in, in actually practicing writing is that um, if you're having trouble making things distilled down to their, their like purest form or, or uh, distinct meaning, what I like to do is I like to write everything out. I like to start by just getting it out. Um, whatever it is. Um, because if I'm, just, if I start out focusing on, I'm going to write the most concise sentence I can here, um, then I'll just spin my wheels because I have a bunch of thoughts going through my head. So it's, for me, it's an exercise of getting what I want out onto the page and then just reading, reading a bunch of times, reading my own writing out loud. So I can hear where the language sounds overly written or stumbly, and then just really going through and, and just doing that over and over and over and, and practicing writing the same paragraph a bunch of different ways, um, to try to figure out, you know, what's the clearest distillation of the thing you're trying to say, and that's the practice form of it. So there's the sort of the meditative part where you're reading people that, um, that you, you respect, you're developing a deeper empathy for your audience. And then there's sort of the practice on the writing side where you are deep in the language and, and, you know, um, taking what you've learned from the reading and the study and, um really, just honing those sentences, um having other people read them that you trust um and yeah it, it it's, it's a it's a mixed practice of, of that sort of meditative and then actual on the page writing uh, type of stuff. So I still struggle with you know like getting my writing distilled down like my old boss and and I'm sure this will happen at comment too is I'd write you know these product um release and release notes or announcements or blog posts. It's like you're bearing the lead, you don't say the thing you want to say until. Um, the fourth paragraph. So one, one specific tip, and I learned this from a poetry professor as well, is write a, write a sentence that says, that tries to capture everything you're trying to say in the piece of writing and, and then go from there. If you can capture the core thing in one sentence, then it allows you, it can open things up a little bit and you've communicated the main thing and then you can uh, sort of fill in the rest of the details there. So those are, those are just a few scattered uh, thoughts on that. I've, it's been a long time since I've taught writing, but I'm um, happy to chat more about that, of course, also too, um, in, any, in any form as well. Love that kind of stuff.
1: I think that's a really, really important like set of tips and points there. And also like we could take a lot for that as data scientists, because, you know, if you have a project up on GitHub, like you should have an accompanying write-up with it, right? Maybe like a, a executive summary, I guess, for lack of a better word, but just something that that really clarifies for the audience when they get to your repository what it is that they're looking at and how it is going to be of interest to them. Um, but thank you so much for those for those tips, Christoph. I'll. I'll toss it back to you to see if you have any follow-ups
2: I do so um, because uh, my topic is NLP because this is uh, what I'm really interested in Uh, and when you said that I should read a lot of stuff from people that I admire so my question is is this this a good approach to read People who write about NLP also—it's like the first step I should take. I would
1: say it's a little um, bit different for that, right? Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you want yeah. to just practice? Like, like because cause you could read books about NLP, but essentially it's going to be just the same thing, right? If you're looking just like at a technical book or a textbook, it'll be the same thing, just said different ways. um So I'm, I'll toss back to Austin on this one, but my viewpoint would be you're probably better off just practicing, practicing, practicing. And polishing away polishing away polishing away as best as you can on that but uh austin i'd love to hear your yeah. your take on this
3: yeah are you interested in writing sort of a more um like perspective on the 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 study of, of natural language, or are you more interested in sort of like writing, r- reporting on your own work in NLP? So I think it depends on the, the, the sub-genre within that, right? So if, you, if, you're, if, you, if it's more of a high level, I want to think about, you know, how things are evolving in NLP, and I would suggest definitely reading folks who write about NLP sort of at that level, whether it's newsletters, the sort of longer form newsletters that people write that are sort of essay-esque. Um, but if it's more of the technical stuff, I think, um, you can, you can think of reading, writing as more like models as, as opposed to, um, a more philosophical exercise. So like, okay, how do they, how do they approach the step-by-step? How do they approach introducing the problem up front? Um, how do they approach conclusions, things like that? That, that Those are the two tracks that I'm seeing in, in what you're saying. If that makes
1: Oh, I like that. Yeah. I hadn't considered that. That's an excellent, excellent point. Uh, Christoph.
2: So, um, I want to write about like technical things because i'm also quite at the big beginning of the of of this journey so i decided to write about what i learned and it's i i already understand a little bit of it but it's my my goal is to write uh, to people who are just starting who are total beginners and it's like i wish i read it a year ago when I started something like that. So it's, it's for me a year ago. Uh, yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. I think in that case, you of kind of free yourself up a little bit, um, from, from the expectations of like, um, or, or like fr- from being overly caught up on, um, is the writing correct? Or is it in the right format? Exactly. If it's for yourself a year ago and it's for your own reflective purposes, I think the best approach is to kind of find someone you trust or a couple of people you trust to read that with you or to share If you can find other people who are writing, you can swap because I think Antti dropped something uh, in the chat about, you know, editing other people's writing. And I think that's super important. Um, I mean, one of the one of the core formats of any writing program is going to be the workshop, you know, sort of like passing each other's writing back and forth, giving constructive feedback. And I think in small pockets, that can be really true for technical writing as well. Um, you know, especially if you're working with people who maybe are, are maybe on their journey or just a little bit further along and sort of have that perspective, they can help you. Um, that's definitely, I think, a valuable approach as well. Uh, so forming little reading groups and, and workshop type groups and just applying that to the more technical side of things. It doesn't always have to be a creative writing workshop, you know. I
1: like that that thought process of writing to yourself from a year ago. Like, I think that type of thing can really be beneficial to to a lot of people, right? Like, in their journeys. I really like that approach. Um so I just want to call Rajeth out here. Rajit said he's trying to learn whatever he can. He has a few questions but gonna chip in in the cup in the coming weeks. Uh man, come through with your questions now, man. You might not remember them in a few weeks and you know you might need the answer sooner than later. So uh Roger, my friend, you know, go ahead man. Whatever questions you got, man. Uh we'll we will happy to help in whatever capacity uh we can because that's what we're here for, my friend. And you would probably have to unmute yourself because um, we're not able to hear you. Uh, in the meantime, if, you know, we'll give Rajat the second or two to formulate his questions. And if Rajat, if you're uncomfortable unmuting yourself, go ahead and just type it out into the chat, what your question might be. And I can talk about it here. Um, let's see what's up with uh, either Peter or Joshua.
5: Okay. This is Peter. And I'm nice. just, I'm just wondering. Mm-hmm. So, I'm an engineer and trying to switch to the data science space. And there seems to be this thing about um, certifications helping to prove your level of knowledge Mm -hmm. in this area. Now, I know that DSDJ doesn't always, Mm -hmm. or rather Kyle, doesn't always speak highly of certifications, but I'm just wondering if it can actually be useful and what, you would recommend? So
1: it depends on what the argument you're making is or what you're trying to convince yourself of, right? If you're coming in with the mindset of, I have certificate, therefore other people should view me as employable. um, I don't think there's necessarily a one-to-one core connection to that. Actually, I posted something on LinkedIn just (laughs) like an hour or two ago uh, where I said one of the biggest fallacies I've made through my career was... Uh, the you know con- conflating the attainment of a degree with the acquisition of a skill, right? Um, so certificates themselves, like if if your main objective is look, I want to I want to go through a structured, formalized program, and at the end, I'd like to have a tangible benefit of that that I can you know put on my profile, or whatever yeah, go for it. But if you're approaching this ex- exercise of the thought of, okay, I'm going to go through this program, get the certificate. And then now people will just know that I know what I'm talking about. They're just going to know what I'm doing and I'm just going to get a job. I don't think that is necessarily the right mentality to have because um, you have to have work product. You have to have tangible evidence of work, especially if you haven't uh, acquired practical work experience. You need to do that in the form of of projects. So I think, you know, Kyle's a good friend of mine. And if I could speak on his behalf and what what his point is, is that we, especially with Data Science Dream Job, we see a lot of people just assuming that if they get a certificate, then all their woes will be uh, alleviated and they will be able to, you know, get any job because they have this certification. That's not necessarily the case. So a certificate doesn't imply that you will, you're necessarily even hireable. But if you have a well-done, well-constructed, a well-thought-out, interesting project where somebody can actually see evidence of your work, I think that's much more powerful and probably a better use of your time than just sitting through a series of lectures to obtain a certificate. Uh, I'll, I'll see if you have any follow-up questions on that, Peter.
5: Um, okay. Yeah. So thank you for that. I, I, I do understand that. I mean, I'm currently actually doing a program where I've done about four projects and I still have like two or three more to go. So I do understand that um, that helps to prove your skill level. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying that at times it's, although it's not a measure of skill, having a certification, at times I think it might help, or rather I was thinking that it might help get at least your foot in the door or get you noticed in the first place to even be Mm -hmm. able to display that skill.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, think of it this way, right? If we have, let's say I have a hundred different versions of Peter, right? And I'm looking at a hundred different versions of Peter um, who are applying for this common data science job, one job, right? But the handful of versions of Peter, which have a certificate, that will just signal to me that you've got... Interest in this field that you are committed to the field, right? So, if anything, I'd say the certificate might be a—I mean, obviously, great way to learn. Uh, you should take that if your objective is to learn how to do something. Um, but it—it does—I don't think it'll necessarily give you a leg up, right? Because if I have a hundred versions of Peter and these hundred versions of Peter all have, you know, certificates, right? Then the the versions of Peter that have a uh, project are likely more uh, more likely to get hired. So certificates are great to signal interest, to signal maybe commitment and dedication to a field, but I don't think that necessarily means that you're automatically an employable data scientist. Christoph, go for it. Uh,
2: I'd like to, to add a little bit to what you just said. Because sure. lately I read this, this distinction about being in motion and taking the action. And uh, being in motion is like getting information about something. So imagine that you'd like to lose weight. So being in motion is like reading about healthy food and taking and the action is like exercising and really going to a diet or, or eating healthy. And to me, certifications are more like being in motion or books are like being in motions or taking participation in such meetings like the one right now and taking and taking the action is doing projects for me. So taking the action is something that um, gives an outcome and being in motion doesn't. So um, I I believe everybody talk about it, that, that projects are the most important. And I agree with that because without projects everything that you learn and doesn't give any results actual results so that's my point
1: yeah uh, peter
2: um thank you thank you i i do understand
5: that i think so I've come across a few opportunities where they actually ask if you have a background in computer science mm-hmm. or if you have a particular certificate or certifications. So in the analogy that you gave about 100 different versions of Peter, that you pick the ones with projects, I'm just saying that at times I find that you don't even get to the stage of putting in your project because you've been disqualified because the other versions had their certificates. in yes. addition. To this.
1: I mean, that's if, if you you want to follow down that train of thought, like you don't, you can't control whether or not you progress through the process, right? Like people can put whatever they want on the job descriptions and some organizations might value certificates over other organizations, right? So that's one thing. There's the culture of the organization. Some might want you to have a certificate. Some might not even care, right? But I'd also say this, that more than a certificate, what's stronger is your resume, Right maybe, maybe you got disqualified from the first round or disqualified from even being brought on for HR phone screen because your resume wasn't in good shape. Right. So that's an issue, right? So my philosophy of this, cause I know how hard it is in the job search. Cause I, I mean, when I was transitioning from biostatistics to data science, I probably went on 40 something interviews in a six month period. And I mean, interviews, right. That doesn't count how many, how many jobs that I've applied for. And, What contributed greatly to my success was me fine-tuning every part of the process which I had control over, right? So if I see a job posting, the job posting says they want this background or they want this particular certificate. Great. Doesn't matter to me if that's what they want. I will still apply for it if I feel like it's a place where I can make a contribution, Now, what I would do is make sure that my resume is in good shape, make sure that I've targeted people inside the company and sent them really well-written reach-out letters, letting them know of my skill set, things that I possess, skills that I possess, despite their requirement for some type of qualification, right? And I make sure that during the interview process, I'm doing a great job responding to questions and and um, showcasing my knowledge and my skill set. Kevin, I see you have your hand up, so go for it.
2: Yeah, I was just going to say um, hiring project managers, they have to have both, in my opinion. For example, I had people apply that got four years of college and their certificate, I wouldn't hire them. They had absolutely zero work experience. I look for people who had good work experience plus the certificate to understand what a framework was and how to go ahead and do projects. So I always look for a combination of stuff.
1: Yeah. So Peter, I'll turn it back to you. See if you have any follow up questions or statements on on
2: that. Thank you. Thank you all for
5: the contributions. Appreciate them.
1: Yeah. By all means, like if if you want a certificate, go for it, man. Like don't don't let what anybody else says about certificates, like block you from going for it. Um, but I think it would be a fallacy to think that just because you've attained this certificate, that it indicates your employability in any way, shape or form. Right. The employability is indicated through evidence of work, proof of work, right? And proof of work is typically shown during projects or done during the interview process, where you have a take-home challenge, where you've got coding challenges, where you're discussing your previous, um, you know, work experiences and, and things like that. Um, so let's see if anybody else has comments or anything on this point. Austin, anything to to. Contribute or anything on on this?
3: Uh, you know, to, to be totally transparent, I, in the job search front and, and that sort of world, I don't. I've I've stumbled back afterwards into all of my roles and uh, sort of just by um, the connections and networking I've happened to do through my brother and things, um, and then sort of executed once I got there. And was I think um, one of the I, I would say this that one of the things that having taken advantage of my opportunities is just being a curious person. I think um, people it's a really under. <laughs> under talked about skill set or under talked about like perspective and approach. But the more curious, like just sort of, you know, jumping into my new role of comment, just like kind of being, having my eyes everywhere, just understanding like what's going on with sales. Like I don't have anything to do with sales, but like what's going on there, what's going on in this sort of channel and and this part of the business. And um, that curiosity has really paid off and allowed me to execute on my opportunities. And I think like good hiring managers are also looking for people who are curious and don't just have a set of skills that they're going to just execute all the time, but also, a certain amount of curiosity and, and interest, and in, you know, ability to to pick things up on, on the fly. I think that's super important, and those those are the kind of people I want to work for as well. That that see those skill sets as amazing.
1: yeah. That's an excellent point, man. Networking is super important, and maybe one thing you could do to get a leg up in the interview process is you know, look for companies that you find interesting, connect with the data scientists there, hiring managers there. Don't immediately message them asking them for a job. Just be like, hey, look, your company looks like it's doing awesome stuff. I'd love to learn more. Do you have like a blog? internal blog at your company that you guys have where you talk about cool stuff, just like Comet has an amazing blog where they do so much knowledge sharing, right? Um, And maybe even try this for whatever next interview opportunity you have, right? Let's say you see a job posted and that job looks awesome. And you're like, man, this company looks awesome. I feel like I can contribute a lot of value in this role, but they're talking about, they want me to have XYZ qualifications. I might have qualification X and Y, but not Z. Apply anyways, apply anyways. And then research the company, go on their website, learn about what they're doing, learn about their industry, learn about their competitors, learn about how your particular skill set can help them solve the problems they are trying to solve at their company, in their industry. And once you have a good mental framework for what this company is about and the work that they're doing, reach out to a you know a technical recruiter, send them a well-constructed message, reach out to somebody who looks like they have clout. And by clout, I mean, you know, manager, director, level and above of data scientist and send them a message and say, look, man, uh, i applied for this job already. Um, I've submitted my, my resume through your online portal, but I just want to reach out and say, um, I find the work you guys are doing fascinating. In particular, here's this blog post that I read on your website that I found interesting, or you could say, in particular, um, here's an interesting problem that you guys are working on in your industry, and how I can help solve it. Um, you know, just anything to signal interest that goes a long way. There, there, there's uh, the point I'm trying to make: is there's so many other factors that are more important to your chances of landing your dream job that a certificate is close to the bottom of that list, right?
3: I had one more thought to add on to that, and if you know. If it's a point of contention and a point of sort of some anxiety already or stress or whatever the word might be, I think if if that is the thing that makes a the difference, then it might you know and, and, and you know a job is it can be a job at, at certain points, but it might not be the one you know if if it's the one for you, if if that's sort of the core requirement that you're missing. Um, and you do all of those other things and you express the interest and you show the curiosity and you show the initiative. Um, and they still, and it's still like, no, you don't have the certificate. Then was that workplace going to be suitable towards your approach anyways, um, Maybe maybe not, but it's it's sort of a thing like that. I realized, Well, like you know, not every job is is necessarily suitable for me and and how I approach the world and how I approach my thinking.
1: Yeah, thank you very much, Austin and Peter. But by, by any chance, are you a member of Data Science Dream Job? Um, just just curious because if you are, come to an office hour. We can talk more in depth. Um, you know, I've got those office hours with Data Science Stream Job. Uh, that you can attend. Um, So if you are.
5: Yeah, yeah. I actually have paid for the data science stream job. Remember
1: all that. Awesome. Yeah, well, make sure you're making good use of the, uh, the office hours that we have in there and the wide range of expertise we got with all the mentors there, man. We'll be happy to help you more. Uh, personally during those office hours. Um, So let's continue along here. Um, I saw a question here from Rajat. Rajat is saying he is at work. Uh, His main question is, as someone new in data science, uh, is amount of information or course or learnings available? Okay, so you're pretty much saying that there's so much out there. I don't know what to choose, which path to go to, to learn. All right, great. Uh, as one thing that came up was how to teach something, which you knew a year ago as an author, how can I find something like this as it will be really handy. Um, so definitely follow a lot of really cool people on medium. Um, two of my really good friends that I highly recommend you uh, checking out. There's Kuyen Tran and Curtis Pikes. Um, they're, they're amazing writers and they put out great content. So definitely check out, check out their work, um, but in terms of finding, deciding which is the right pathway, uh, I'll take a controversial stance here. Like it, does, it doesn't matter which bootcamp you go to. It doesn't matter. And look, and I'm saying this as principal mentor of data science dream job, right? Like we're not like an online education pr- platform. We're not like a, a bootcamp or anything like that. We help you through the job search process and help you become a data scientist and level up. Uh, I'm, I'm saying like, it doesn't matter which one you go to, because at the end of the day, we're teaching facts, right? So everything that you're learning in data science in terms of technical skill, those are all facts, right? And there are very, very, very little room for interpretation of facts, right? Um, Maybe you like the way somebody teaches it versus the way somebody else teaches it, whatever, but like, it's all the same. is what I'm pretty much trying to say. It is all the same. Um, So, I think optimize more for just finding the right type of people to turn to for questions, asking really good questions, right? Which is ownership on you to help direct your course of study. Right? So when you're talking about how to decide the right pathway, well, you've, First is decide very clearly what your objective is and what it is that you wish to do, right? Um, and that's the that's all I'll say um, because that's, you know, I don't know much else about you. So I can't really give you more guidance or insight as to what the right pathway is for you. Uh, but before you start any journey, is just get extremely clear on where it is that you're trying to end up and where it is that you're trying to, to go. Ken? go for it i don't know if ken just uh unmuted to contribute or or just joined in as unmuted but um happy to have you here ken i've never seen your name before so how you doing
6: hey i'm all right thank you i awesome. uh just saw your linkedin post so I was just oh, like, nice, man.
1: I was like let me jump in Oh, all right on man well dude i'm super excited to have you here uh yeah, thank background. you love the background appreciate by the way man appreciate it thank you yeah man how's how's your week been it's been good Been real good awesome, man uh so tell us tell me a little bit about you man I, I, the do remember seeing a couple of messages, I think, from you on LinkedIn, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but I don't think we've actually uh, got a chance to to interact much. So tell us a little bit about you, man. Like, where are you at in your career, in your journey, and in. in- yeah, no,
6: I, uh, I'm i currently in graduate school, getting an MBA in uh, data analytics, uh, specializing in it, and um, starting a new position as a clinical analyst soon. So that'll be pretty cool,
1: um, doing some data analysis as part of that position. So, you know, I'm just really looking forward to learning as much as I can about the industry and how to use the discipline. Right on, man. Hey, uh, so I used to be in the clinical industry. I was a biostatistician for several years, so I'm very familiar with the clinical trials and and clinical trial statistics and designing experiments stuff like that. So, uh, definitely fun, interesting type of role. Um, so yeah, I mean, if at any point you got any questions about anything, man, uh, just let me know and, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, you know, get you some, some help. Uh, yeah, appreciate if, it. thank you. Yeah, definitely. Also shout out to, uh, auntie's, uh, auntie's blog too. You got to check out auntie's blog. Um, okay. Uh, you can be a pirate.com. It's all about, uh, <laughs> it's all about
4: learning R. Um, very very beginning in the beginning stages but yeah it's been awesome. interesting to fight fight with github <laughs> yeah
1: man I, I like the work you're doing there and i love yeah, you good thanks. pun too so that's awesome <laughs> so let's uh head to um i hope i'm saying your name right here uh oyinda, oyinda.
5: yes i appreciate thank you so much hey. i hope you can hear me
1: yeah. Loud yeah. and clear. Loud and clear.
5: Yes. All right. Thank you. Well done. Um, I've been following all the training on DSDJ. Nice. Um, I just have a quick question. Um, so I, I started working on the um, salary prediction portfolio project. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, um, you know, the test data doesn't have target values. So how do we measure? Um, so I, yeah, I started with the training data and I could re- measure the MSC, got good values and all that. Now, how how do I measure um, how effective my uh, model is when I don't have target values for the training um, for the test data? I... Yeah. I- yeah, I just need some idea concerning it because I started and I was excited and I got there. I found oh, no target yeah. values. How do I measure if what I've done is good or not? Yeah,
4: yeah. so
1: yeah, just full, full disclosure for everybody wondering where all these data science dream job people are coming from, I shouted out to my data science dream job community that I'm doing open office hours just to get more people in here. So uh, so that's that's why we got a couple of DSTJers in here. But to answer your question, Oyinda, then, so uh, just for some context for everybody else, as part of data science dream job, we got a bunch of example projects that students can can work on to kind of develop their skills to see how a project should be carried out for that particular project you're talking about the salary prediction project there is actually a data set that is the called y test so the x test the x x test data set doesn't have the target on it because it's in a separate file called the y test Um, so there's there's that and I mean, in general, you, you would just take your fitted model, do a dot predict on the X test, and then you'll end up with a vector of um, output values, and then you could use that to compute your, your MSE against your test set. Uh, hopefully that was helpful. Um,
5: yeah. Thank you. I just yeah. didn't find that whitest.
1: That was right. Okay. Yeah, it should be in there. Uh, go ahead, post a message on our, our Slack channel for that. Um, okay. Yeah, but apart from the from the DSCD project, any other questions I could I could help you with? Thank you for coming in. By yeah, the way. Yeah, Appreciate
5: I'm I'm it. good. Thank thanks, yeah. thanks. I, I was surprised there was going going to be an office hour today. So when I saw the yeah. message, I
1: just popped in. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. So because uh, uh, I, <laughs> I do uh, I do office hours on behalf of my friends at Comet ML, and these are open for for you know the entire community outside of data science stream job as well well um so yeah that that's uh, why it wasn't announced in our, our slack i just was trying to get more and more people to show up
5: in, in all here. right thanks yeah. Thanks. all right cool
1: right on um joshua my friend i i, I saw you unmuted there a couple of times i definitely go and take the floor yeah.
0: okay, a bit, can you hear me? Uh, little
1: bit there's a little bit of a, a background noise but uh i, I think we can manage
0: Oh, oh thank you thank you how about now
1: yeah um, oh. Oh, I, I can i can awesome. make out i can make out what you're saying so that's good oh, oh
0: okay awesome, <laughs> yeah. awesome i think thanks for the opportunity by the oh, so absolutely. my question uh yeah so i'm kind of starting out uh two on data science stuff, and uh i've worked around some of the some of the tools sort of maybe altrix and tableau and then uh, some little of uh, Python data analysis libraries. Uh, the part that uh, I'm confused at is uh, either to work on this, uh, on working on this particular tool. And uh, what my question is, uh, at what point will these tools be of very much importance than the other? Or yeah. do they just level up on the. Yeah, they t- just level up. <laughs> yeah,
1: so let me just try to read. I'm going to put you on mute there to minimize the background noise, but to to rehash the question, make sure I'm understanding it. You're saying that there's a bunch of tools out there for like data visualization and stuff. You mentioned Tableau, all And the question is more around, okay, which tool should I use? And when is this tool going to be used? Right. Is that the question, uh, Joshua? Let me know. Yeah. I'm going to take that, take that as yes. So um, yeah, here's the thing, man. Like uh, I I remember at this job I had, um, they wanted me to make a Tableau dashboard, which, you know, I happily did. Um, and I enjoyed making the Tableau dashboard, uh, but we ran across a issue was that for us to disseminate the Tableau dashboard, everybody needed to have some type of license for it, especially if we wanted to use it on our intranet. Right. We didn't want to make it public where everybody could see it. Um, and that was a barrier because we didn't have enough licenses and the licenses caused money. Right. Um, So I guess my point that I'm trying to make is that tools like Alteryx and Tableau, their usefulness in the industry is definitely useful. There are companies that are using it, but not every single company is using these particular tools. Right. So uh, I would say that when it comes to dashboarding types of tools, I'm, I'm not like paid by Microsoft or anything like that. So this is not an advertisement for them. Um, you're probably better off using Power BI because that has a lot more, uh, a lot more market share, I think. Um, so I I don't know if I'm answering your question, but if, if I was in your situation and, 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 you know, I'm really into data visualization, I would, instead of focusing on the particular tool to use, I would focus on good uh, practices for data visualization to make sure that the way that I'm presenting data in a visual format is effective, right? So I'd focus more on the effectiveness of, um, the, the 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 messaging i guess messaging is not the right word but the effectiveness of your visualization rather than uh learning a tool because at the end of the day man you can learn tableau or all tricks realistically within a week maybe two weeks and you can hit the ground running but if you don't know how to create a good visualization if you don't know the elements that make up a good visualization in order to effectively communicate some message then um then you're gonna be stuck anyways. Then it doesn't matter what tool you're using because everything you create will not be effective. Right. Um so I would optimize more so for um for learning best practices for data visualization and maybe sticking with open source type of tools. Um definitely, you know, keep doing stuff on Tableau um public. I mean, I'm not sure what the market share is for you know Tableau versus Alteryx um versus Power BI, but Power BI has got the added benefit that you can integrate Python into it. So um, that's a huge plus. Um, so Joshua, I'll toss it back to you. If anybody else has comments on this topic, I'd, I'd love to to hear. So.
0: Uh, thanks so much. That was really helpful. Did, and, I, uh, answer, you can... did I answer your question? Though did I,
1: did I answer your question?
0: Yeah, oh. yeah, he yeah, did. You did answer my question. Thanks. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. I really appreciate. Yeah, follow and up then question. Then just a, yeah, yeah, follow up question. Okay, I haven't gotten uh, into. I haven't gotten into those tools and uh, deeply so how do how do they level up with uh uh maybe using a pattern that analysis library such as seaborn
1: yeah so uh i i use seaborn for any visualizations that i do that's just my preferred thing. Um, I, don't, I know how to use Tableau. Um, I'm not like the best at it, but I just don't use those often. I just use Seaborn for any data visualization that I need to get done, any graph or chart that I, make, that I need to make. I, I'll use Seaborn and Matplotlib just because it's open source, easy to use, um, and whatever my output is, I can save it as an image and incorporate it into a report or whatever and we're good to go. Um, so seaborn's awesome. I, I do use Seaborn. Um, I think Dash is up and coming and becoming really popular as well, so maybe Dash is something worth checking out as well. Um, data visualization i mean it depends on what type of role that you're going for um, like me personally i don't do much data visualization or dashboarding whatsoever. Uh, I primarily I primarily build models that's most of what I do um so it, it you know it depends on the type of roles that you're going for um, but just having a good understanding of how to effectively communicate data through a visual medium. Um, it's probably more important than the actual tool that you are using. Uh, but yeah, Seaborn's awesome. Like you use Seaborn. Oh,
0: yeah. Okay, thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate yeah. it.
1: No problem. Yeah. Um, yeah. And again, like I've heard great things about Dash. Uh, I haven't got a chance to use it. But um, definitely check that out if, if if you're in the market for, uh, you know, looking for open source projects or open source visualization tools. Um, let's see if anybody else has questions. Go ahead and let me know right there in the chat. Uh, I see some comments here. Uh, Rajat, thanks. Oh, you're welcome, my friend. Happy to help. Um, Antti, talk to us about your experience using Power BI and and R. I see some good comments here. First off, talking about the, uh, you know, tooling uh, go for it
4: yeah it's an interesting question um like you said um if you want to learn something fast then I, I haven't used tableau myself but at least power bi was really um intuitive to learn at least the basics uh I, again probably if you really want to get uh, <laughs> to the master level it's not that easy but um i have been using it a lot at work for for over a year now and the visualization that i did um on friday it didn't take that long um with power bi because i now i know what i'm doing with power bi but uh, as i wrote there um to understand the plots like what 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 you're actually what's happening behind the scenes? It's been really interesting uh, and useful to to learn ggplot in R since <laughs> I am the pirate now. Um, so I I have no idea what goes on in Python, but but for R um, ggplot has been really useful and learning that has been really useful to actually understand what what's going on. Um, because in Power BI you just you know uh you point and click and it's really easy to use but there's no deeper understanding necessarily yeah there
1: yeah gg plot for all so users i definitely. use both yeah yeah and, and i could i can even say like for for power bi um like i've seen people at my work who are not data analysts or data people whatsoever they're you know high, higher level managers come up with some really cool looking dashboards on their own uh so it is intuitive uh, to use i'd say if um if somebody who's not really a data analyst can make really effective dashboard with it um but again not an endorsement for any product or, or thing like that my my big thing is and i think it'll always be this it's focus more on principles rather than tools um f- if you focus on principles which are timeless then you will always be an effective user of any tool right uh this was this was a course i took i can't remember when i took it might have been 2017 or something like that it was a uh, through Coursera, and it was a UC Davis course on data visualization. And the first half of that course was all about how to effectively communicate data through a visual medium. And they had all these different principles, like all these, they call them gestalt principles, um, which was really, uh, I don't remember many of them now, but I remember that they did stick with me. um, And it was really quite, quite fascinating. Um, And just because Ken is a uh, clinical trials person here i got to pull up something real quick uh uh, that that i think will be interesting as it relates to visuals and clinical data so give me one second folks i'll be right back here i can't find the book uh but it was it was right i had it right here oh hold on is this one medical illuminations and this is all about how to use uh, data visualization for uh, using evidence of visualization and statistical thinking to improve healthcare. um so yeah that's I was gone for way more than a second, but you know, I'll edit that out for the podcast. Everybody watching on YouTube gets to see me get up and walk. Um, but yeah, this was a a pretty interesting book that I, that, that talks about how to communicate data through a visual medium. Um, so definitely check that out. And they, they go through some like history of different types of visualizations. Um, and different principles and and stuff like that so highly recommend checking this out um i think there's like a data data visualization podcast i mean there's obviously kate strachny my good friend has some great content around that she's kind of an expert in that area um
2: took you long enough
1: yeah to mention kate (laughs) yep yeah (laughs) my my very very good friend kate who uh we're hosting a um a content, uh, content creators award ceremony if you guys have not yet already registered for that or voted for that please do it's the data community content creators award uh awesome if you can help spread the word with comment around this that'll be awesome as well uh this is hosted Absolutely. live yeah it's, it's like the a combination of um the people's choice award and the mtv uh video music awards uh it's it's going to be hosted live on linkedin and uh, powered by you and your votes. Uh, I'm happy to announce that we have a very, very special guest in the house, uh, John David, my friend John David, host of the How to Get a Analytics Job podcast. What's going on, man? Happy to see hey, you. Hey,
7: how are you doing?
1: Good, man. Good, man. Excited to see you. This is first time we've actually uh, ever interacted, man. I'm, I'm happy that you uh, swung by. How's your week been?
7: Uh, it's been a crazy week, so I don't know if you've noticed this, like, really outdated-looking wood panel, but I just moved into a new place. Dude, so. Dude. Wood we're panels. Set up.
1: Wood panels are my shit, man. I fucking love that stuff. Wood panels are awesome. Uh, I, I was trying to tell my wife that uh, I wanted to wood panel my entire office, but she wouldn't let me.
7: Really? So, so okay. So you don't think this looks outdated? Not do. I love that stuff. That okay. Well, because yeah. I've got like my monitor, then my laptop, and I've kind of like, because we're starting to live stream now, which nice. is a whole new, like, a whole new experience. Outdated. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it looks outdated. It looks looks good. Yeah, I've been trying to uh, I've been trying to get my
1: LinkedIn Live certification for quite some time. I guess they don't think I'm a good enough content creator to go live. Uh so I have to go recorded and share
7: my stuff. I got a pro tip for you. What's that? Um apply for it through your um company page. Oh, okay. We got it within a week.
1: Okay, nice, nice. I'm gonna check that out. Somebody's asking, is Blue Yeti a default mic to what what does that mean, Christoph?
7: Uh this is a blue yeti right here.
1: Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah,
7: yeah, it's just pretty much standard. I think you've got a better mic. I mean your your voice is sounding super crispy.
1: <laughs> oh thank you. Thank you. Yeah, this is a uh, ATR twenty one hundred. It's actually a pretty cheap mic, so it's only like a hundred bucks, but uh I, I really like like this uh the setup. Um it makes it easy for me to be hands-free. I used to have it where it was on a stand right in front of me and I, I always had to like Talk facing down—it and it was just not a good look. Um, but yeah, so let's see if anybody else has has questions. I, we were just we were just hanging out today, John David. Uh, you know, typically how these things go, same as my Friday office hours, uh, happy hours rather. Uh, people just come through, and if they have questions, we we tackle their questions one at a time. Um, but today, people have just been talking about um, you know how to uh, how to write, how to use data visualizations effectively. I guess that, that's an interesting question to ask you, John. Um, so. Joshua was asking about the use of tools such as like Tableau and Alteryx in the industry. If you're going to optimize for learning a particular tool, how do you decide which tool you're going to use? And um let's let's start there and then we'll we'll go go more.
7: Okay. So optimize in terms of like are you talking about like a maximize your return on investment of like yeah. if yeah. I spend an hour on this, it'll get me this much closer to the goal line of getting a job yeah. i would say power bi and tableau are pretty much the the lowest hanging juiciest fruit because mm-hmm. you can learn those tools within i mean you can probably learn it within a week and then all of a sudden you actually have a skill and especially because a lot of executive teams people are you know in their 50s and above so you show them a interactive visualization and it just blows their mind
1: yeah 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 same uh, same type of sentiment i was having there um, was power bi uh, definitely because it's got such a huge market share. Um, and in terms of, you mentioned showing off to executives, uh, dashboards, what other use cases have you seen for for these dashboards in the industry aside from you know sh- showing
7: cool visualizations so what do you mean by that like um like different like like marketing sales psychographic. yeah,
1: yeah. yeah let's talk about that yeah psychographic let's go there man that sounds interesting
7: <laughs> yeah. oh man this feels like a shameless plug for myself so uh yeah,
1: dude go for it man. we're
7: um so we just launched our own learning platform. That's learned at com, And what I've done is I've built out a prototype like retail sales case study course. And what I did was at the end of each chapter, I have um, a survey that asked you like three questions. Like what's the overall quality? What was my presentation? Like how well did I present the, the content? What was the content valuable and useful? And then an open source um, just like, or open-ended question of, do you have any additional feedback? So psychographic data is essentially data that you collect from survey. So it gets at thoughts, feelings, emotions. So what we're doing is we're using this course and the people, like the first wave of people are creating the data source for the next case study course, which is going to be survey analysis, like how to how to think through creating surveys, how to study them. And it's, it's all based out of um, Tableau. So- nice the end of it you have a specific business use case and then you have a portfolio that you can then use to kind of root the conversation during an interview process so instead of right. saying i know tableau you can say oh yeah i know how i know how to use tableau to study sales data in fact let's pull up my tableau public page and i can talk you through how i think about it
1: nice that's awesome yeah and then just remind me of another use case that uh, for using for example power bi dashboards right i mentioned at the top of the hour that Um, actually before we started recording the show that um, I'm working on this project at work that it's a data management, data strategy, data governance type of uh, project, which I don't really know how to do because I'm a data scientist, right? Uh, Mm. But part of this is involving us doing lots of interviews around certain topics to understand business drivers and benefits that people think they can get from a data management project. And we're communicating all that information uh, visually through a Power BI dashboard, we have all their scores and we have their uh, we're, we're using a um, a radar graph to kind of show the multivariate relationships between how they uh, prefer one benefit over, uh, over another, so on and so forth. Um, so that's another use case for you, uh, Joshua, like, you know, just different ways that you can use dashboards to you know, communicate a message. Um but yeah, let's uh, let's open up the floor, see if there's any other questions. Uh I noticed a couple of people came in, a couple of people dropped off. Some people might have gotten shy. Uh, but I see Piush just uh came in. So Piush, if you have a question, go ahead. Uh feel free to unmute yourself and uh let us know what your question is. Adam, how's it going, man? Uh good to see you here again. Adam, if you got a question or anything that you want to chat about, go ahead and let us know. Um otherwise we could start to wind it down. But this is going to be um this is going to be your cheer shot to ask a question. So uh Piyush, I'm, I'm calling on you, man. Let me know. Let me know uh first of all, just let me know how your week's been. which how's your week's been going? Piouch. Piouch is Adam, how's it going, man?
6: So yeah, it, it's going all right. Um and one of the questions that I have is um I have and I, I'm sorry if I've asked this before, but um, how important is graduate education to uh, becoming a data scientist? I've heard that you absolutely need it.
1: Yeah, it's a very, very interesting question, and this is a, it's a similar theme we we're talking about earlier today. Um, I don't know if Peter's still here, uh, but Peter was asking whether certificates were uh, important in landing a data science job, and. Even I'd actually you know this this is interesting that maybe this is me just putting this out there in in the the universe with with a LinkedIn post, but I had posted something on LinkedIn where I said that one of the biggest fallacies I've made was conflating the attainment of a degree to the acquisition of a skill um and thereby letting my knowledge use me rather than me using my knowledge right That being said, I do have a graduate degree in in you know math and statistics got graduate training um but I can I can say with full confidence I've learned far more outside of school than I have in school. Um, so I I can so I, I don't think in data science graduate degrees are act, actually necessary. I don't think you need to have a graduate degree in order to land a job as a data scientist because if you're if you're really serious about this career path you're going to put yourself through self-education and self-learning, right? And just continually upskill. Um So what's more important is just your ability to learn new things, right? And then effectively communicate that you've learned or understood something through, through projects. Right. Um, So I'll pause there and see if you have any comments or questions or John, if you want to chime in.
7: Yeah. I've actually got um, thoughts on this. Yeah. So, my friend Molly, that I actually grew up with, we just successfully pivoted her out of. She was she got a degree in environmental science with, I guess, a concentration in geology. And um, about two months ago, I convinced her that she should. She, well, number one, she's not happy because she's making like no money. So she's like, I am depressed because I've looked around and like, this is the only apartment that I can find. I was like, well, you know, my podcast is literally how to get an analytics job. So about two months ago, she started learning some basic level like analytics skills and she just landed a job two weeks ago, uh, entry-level data science job where she does disaster relief. So I think what's interesting, Adam, is that if you have an area outside that is not directly related to analytics, so the fact that she knows environmental science and has data skills, that's a very unique brand skill stack. So think about like, there's probably what a million people applying for analytics jobs, but how many people have geology, environmental, and data science skills? So... I mean, that's a little bit of, I don't know, we're, we're, what's interesting is we're like actively developing, like what, like how we're thinking about things, like as it's rolling out. But I think that it's, there is almost like an, there's an overvaluation of hard skills. It's like, can you, can you think, and then what's your perspective on things also too is valuable.
1: I like like that you said talent stacking and skill stacking, because that's super important, finding intersections of different uh, areas of expertise that then you can become the best at that intersection. That is huge. Um, But honestly, man, like here's the thing, like any graduate program you go to, most of their syllabi are available freely online. You can look at a course and figure out what it is that you need to learn and put yourself through that if you really wanted to. Um, but I don't, I don't think you need to have a graduate degree in anything to get a job as a data scientist. Now, that being said, if you are trying to become a research scientist or work primarily in research-based roles, then I think graduate studies are probably more important, but only to the extent that they indicate that you could sit down for a long-ass period of time and study something and not get bored out of your brains by studying it. Um, but I'll pause there, Adam, and see if you have any further comments or questions based on what you heard here? Well, that's
6: really good to hear um, because my impression was that the data science career path was that you would probably major in some STEM field and then you would do internships to get a data analyst position. Um, And then, well, really you would probably not even in a STEM field, uh, in the domain that you wanted to do data science. And then you would teach yourself the skills on the side or as a minor or a double major. And then you would, Use that to get internships uh, as a uh, as a data analyst, and then you would do data analysis, um, and then do your masters, and upgrade to data science internships, and then once you had finished your masters, you had years of experience as an analyst, then you might be able to apply for a data science job. I mean,
1: that's definitely one possible career path that you know people can take. Um, <laughs> but you, could, I've seen people land data science jobs. With just a bachelor's degree and maybe a year or two of experience, um, if you are in a, if you are in an undergraduate program, definitely try it as hard as you possibly can to get an internship, uh, just because you can learn what it's like to to work. But if you can't land an internship, then do projects and projects and projects, and you don't even necessarily need to have a um, you don't even necessarily need to have a STEM degree in order to get into data science do you need to know STEM concepts? Yeah. But I mean, just because you study a particular thing does not mean that you're incapable of learning something else, right? Like uh, you know, one of my community members, uh, Kurash, Kurosh, Elizabeth, who has the philosophy data project. Uh, he studied philosophy, PhD uh, philosophy, and I think he did primarily ethics and he decided to pick up data science skills. And now he's got this really interesting project uh that blends philosophy and data i think it's just like philosophy data project you look it up and he does like this cool nlp thing uh with philosophical texts right um that just goes to show that you know you can learn anything you want without having to go to having that particular form of training hope does that make sense man like i guess what i'm trying to say is that don't think that just because you majored in art history that you're incapable of learning math or know stem related topics um now if a art history major with no training in math or science or anything try to get a job in analytics or try to get a job in data science that might be tough um, there'll be a lot of self-education that needs to happen for sure um i'm just rambling at this point so i'm going to pause and, <laughs> and see if uh if there's any uh, other
7: adam th- you may want to look into building out a portfolio yeah yeah absolutely so having something tangible to say that this is the work that I've done. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really um, fascinating. Once you get some distance between the, the work that you've done and then who you are, because I mean, that can get shared on social media and who knows who might see it. Um, like for example, some of my students at Greensboro college last semester um, were on the golf team and they visualized their golf data. And what's funny is that Ken G is a golfer. So um, mm-hmm. when we had Ken G come on the podcast, they in- instantly connected so yeah i think that think about it from like the human level as well like what is interesting about my personal brand that can connect with other people and
1: uh auntie has a good uh anecdote here man auntie talk to us real quick uh-huh. uh, yeah
4: um i went to the university when i was young young <laughs> like most people and dropped out because of life things now i've been working um i'm now working as a business develop, uh, development manager and trying to go towards the data data career, but I'm already using everything that I'm now learning in my current position. And it's just I haven't learned math since since um, senior high, but it's it's just tougher. <laughs> but it's not I- impossible to to learn the, um, things that I need now. Just means more work.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I know we gave a lot of good general advice here, but Adam, like what's your current situation? Like, are you in grad school? Are you in school? Like what's going on with you?
6: I am in school. I'm doing physics. I taught myself Python, PyDataStacks, Scikit-Learn, the equivalents in Julia, and machine learning libraries, built data pipelines for Code for America. Um, Well, I should say architected and did the research for them. Now I'm getting the core math of another Code for America one. And um, I'm starting to teach myself uh, neural networks. And um, oh my gosh, I have a whole bunch of sims that I've written. um, And I'm trying to start this ML consultancy with my friend. And yeah, frankly, I just feel super unqualified and uh, i
1: think i think you're definitely qualified uh so the, you're not getting your qualifications by having a piece of paper you're getting your qualifications by doing things uh, which is far more important you got skin in the game now at this point man so uh, i think you might just be uh selling yourself a little bit uh short there what do you think john
7: yeah i was about to say um molly so my friend that we helped get an entry-level data science job she doesn't even know how to code in python like she, how does she do the data science then are, um, they are training her on the job. It's interesting. Cause I feel like you're okay. It's an interesting frame. Cause I think you have some anxiety around getting your first job. So your, your idea is to like acquire all the skills, but what's also an interesting take is that Molly is kind of like tabula rasa. She's a blank slate. So they can train her on how, whatever she wants on whatever they want her to learn. So she, it, I mean, it was funny because she went through this imposter syndrome and you can see it on the podcast where she was like, I am totally unqualified for any of these jobs, but yet they had, she had multiple recruiters actually reach out to her once she started getting more active. Like, I guess my advice to you is maybe spend less time acquiring skills and more time going out and making relationships, building your personal brand, like get out, like, like how to, how to. of articulate that so like you already have the skills like you're pretty much good on that like you you have more technical (laughs) acumen than i do no
6: i i can't like i feel like if i'm gonna do data science i should be able to be placing at least in the upper half on Kaggle pretty regularly
1: uh, Kaggle's not the real world my friend uh that's not what real data science is like that's
6: i know that of course uh, there's a lot more exploratory data analysis consulting domain experts talking to business people presenting your data Right. uh, working with other people. But if you can't go out there, sit down with Titanic, if you can't do that, it's a pretty good litmus test for whether you can do it or not. And damn I got man. a
1: Yeah, I I don't know if I agree I, with that, man. Like, I mean, uh, I probably would not do well in most Kaggle things, uh, but I'm a pretty damn good data scientist. I mean, I make good money for my organization, right? Like I'm recouping a lot of top line revenue with the stuff that I'm doing and that's what matters. Right. Um,
6: like yeah. I faced empty data uh, values and straight up choked. I couldn't get XGE boost running. I couldn't get um, freaking random forest classifiers going. And when I see papers out there talking about what they did, they're talking about 96% accuracy, 94% recall. Like yeah, some, I, I shouldn't some... be able to do that. It's... Well it's like mean, not depends, being able right? to do weak code easy as a programmer,
1: yeah, so not all data sets are going to be able to support that type of predictive power if you end up in a situation where you are fortunate enough to have uh, data that is that can support that type of predictive power, then yeah you 're going to get those results, but more often than not, in the real world, you won 't have data that can support that type of predictive power, and you have to just be happy with doing better than chance right and maybe like, you know you probably have to look at something called. Cohen's Kappa for a classification, right? Just seeing, am I doing better than chance? And really... You know, uh, going for a pre-contrived accuracy or recall score probably is not the right way to approach your problem. I would say you should look for establishing the simplest possible model, baseline model that will get you a good result. And then from there, incrementally trying to get better and better until you notice that it's kind of flattening. Right. And call it a day, deploy it, make money
7: for your company and move on to the next project. Um, Yeah, I think that that make money. Yeah, Uh, I think that. Adam how well do you know like business what's your business acumen like 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 how how well can you apply analytics data science visualization machine learning to either increase revenue or cut down costs or reduce risk. Heck,
6: if I know, I've never done it
7: before. So that's where I think you should spend some more time, like kind of divert some of that energy of like, because it seems like you're going super deep because I, but also too, I realize I, I'm just like a data, I'm like more of like a management consultant with a little bit of data stuff. So I I know that I probably shouldn't even be on the machine learning <laughs> office hours (laughs) no no man we're happy to have
1: you here um but look i'd say dude just start applying for jobs just start applying for jobs and kind of get out of your own way and out of your own head and get a resume put it together apply for jobs go through the process and see what happens like find an entry-level role apply for it and get real world experience um i mean and then simultaneously read Skin in the Game on Nasim Taleb to understand that intellectualizing things uh, is far different than actually doing right. Because you're going to learn more by doing on the job than you are going to do by doing a research paper or doing a Kaggle competition, right? <laughs>
7: um, so I'm so glad that you like Nasim Taleb too. Oh yeah, yeah. I literally reference Skin in the Game of like you have to get out there and it has uh, to count. Yeah
1: yeah absolutely man um so Nassim Taleb's got his technical inserto series which he made completely uh free on archive x i'll give you guys a link to it um uh statistical consequences of fat tails um right here is a link to it it is hilarious and typical Nassim Taleb fashion uh but it's a technical book on statistics and uh, the misapplication of statistics. He also has a really, really interesting open MOOC uh, that you can find um, on online. Oh, Austin, sorry. I just noticed you have your hand up. Go for it. No
3: worries. Um, Adam, I was just curious, like how often or in what ways do you um, reflect on, and this isn't we we started talking about this as personal inventory, but I mean, like, are you writing about what you're learning at all? Are you documenting? Are you, because it sounds like there's just like a lot going on and a lot of different things piling up so how are you kind of like keeping track or like reflecting or um like investigating what feels like a failure to you i guess um are there ways that you're approaching that or doing that or, or is it sort of like um just trying to acquire as much as you can right now
6: um i'm definitely uh not really keeping score at all and just trying to uh get as- get my hands on as much as I can and get to the point where like I could sit down with a dirty data set and without any mess or fuss, I mean, obviously any unnecessary mess or fuss, because it's going to be messy and fussy, but without any unnecessary mess or fuss, um, get that data set to, you know, state of the art performance, considering what I can you know, what I can do with it. If it doesn't have much predictive mm. power, then there's not much doing, but sure. I should be able to, you know, if, if you gave me something similar to, I don't know, the diabetes data set, I should be able to get pretty good predictive power. If it's crummy, really crummy data that doesn't say much, I should at least be able to squeeze out 80 to 90% of the goodness over a couple of weeks. Right. Mm. So um, if I can't do that, then I'm, I'm not really, doing data science and people don't really need someone who can just like get worse than whatever else their team can already do. Right. I mean, you don't have to go out there and beat soda, but you should be able to at least implement it reasonably quickly.
1: Yeah. I I don't know if I completely agree with everything you're saying there. Uh, there, There's the, I mean, building models, predictive models is one piece of data science. It's not the entirety of it. Uh, There's a lot more, that that you do on a day-to-day basis um if you find yourself in a position where all you do is build models then uh that's awesome Um, that's probably more that would probably be more of a a research type role right um so yeah so so dude just apply for jobs i I challenge you to apply for like 10 jobs this week entry-level jobs and just see what happens go through the interview process and uh whatever this Can you know this notion you have of I should be able to do this? I should be able to do that. Just get rid of all that. Just get 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 rid of all of that. Uh, Because there's no there's no should this should that. It's just can I can I show up and solve a problem that is a problem worth solving that is going to help this company do one of three things like John was saying: reduce risk, reduce costs, increase revenue. Um, and if if those three things don't sound like something that you are interested in doing, then by all means, go to graduate school, get a PhD and work in a research environment where you're completely disconnected and removed from the real world and not really doing uh, anything business related and then just kind of intellectualizing things. Uh, but Austin, you're... Uh, your
3: yeah, part. I would just say in the, the moment, it feels like there's like, and, I, and obviously I don't know the specifics in, in terms of how you're feeling about this, but um, I'm just thinking of a lot of what I've been through with like, you know, constantly getting rejections from my writing. Um, it's like a lot of it is about contextualizing what feels like and what is failure um, and figuring out how that contributes to what you're learning um, and how it's building on itself. And I think the, like, that's why I always, I, I mean, I always turn to writing to do this, right. Where if I'm experimenting with something and um, documenting those experience and trying to understand and sort of debrief of why they went wrong, um, or, or why they didn't go the way I thought, and sort of create a plan of attack to, to you know, to the next draft of the poem or the next round of the experiment, um, and just finding ways to contextualize what feels like failure, so it doesn't feel like. Um, you're just racking up L's but you're actually what, there, what do we use this quote as sort of like the other way because like there's no failures only like these learning experiences or sort of there's a quote around that that I can't conjure right now that's pretty pretty well known I think justifiably so so I think like figuring out ways to contextualize what feels like failure in, in a bigger picture of, of yeah like, like, I, th- I think the quote is <laughs> th-
7: I think the quote is there is no losing there's either winning or learning Something I like, like that. that.
3: Yeah. so It's it's along those lines. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think just like, so that's just always been super helpful to me as it's not, um, if you, if you feel like you're racking up L's, it's like there, there's a, there's, there's something to be gleaned from that. And it's says, how you, how do you extract that and, and learn how to, whether it's writing about it or whether having these conversations or whatever it is, um, it's never quite as simple as like, it's a success or a failure. There, there's always something in between that and figuring out how to index that and catalog that and, and categorize that it's different for everyone. But I think that's a super important skill um, that keeps you from like burning out and getting overly frustrated and overly down on yourself. And, and, and I say that because I, I know how that feels um, as, especially as someone like non-technical who constantly is like working with people who have this like very highly technical skill skill setter i feel like they're way beyond me in certain ways and it's uh it's you know um that's that's been a long game for me but i think that that's a really important skill to develop over time.
7: adam have you ever heard of this concept called a vanity metric
6: yeah i mean it's basically things that people show off in order to impress other people but which don't really matter like recently um, when uh, machine learning science papers, data like research data science papers have been published, they've been you know posting these little incremental accuracy improvements. So this beats soda, that beats soda, but no one can reproduce it. And so really now, if you have something that beats the current benchmarks, um, I, I think it's more of a vanity metric at this point. The improvements haven't been huge lately. Um, even ignoring whether they can be reproduced, and it's really just an entire ecosystem that emerged around that being the litmus test of a good paper um, rather than anything else, because it was easy to check. And now the machine learning science community is in crisis. So other things might be, for example, if you don't have a lot of context, you might be talking about, I don't know, ARPU, right? A- annualized revenue. Yeah, producer. well, I
7: think I just wanted to use the vanity metric as like a, a mental model and mental construct. Essentially, I think that you you acquiring your KPI, like your key performance indicator is what coding language or what projects have I done. And that feels like it's self-soothing to you, but really I think the metric that you should be using to track success or wins for a week is how many interviews that I go in, how many analytics managers have I met, like how, like how many, like going out and, and getting out. Cause it seems like it's all like in your head right now. And it, I mean, it's, imp- it's impressive. I mean, you're more technically sound than I am, I think, And I mean, I've, but I've been in this space, although I guess like I'm not a data scientist, so I'm, I feel like I'm, but I have used data to work on projects that have been worth like $5 million for one of my clients. So I think that, and I also manage data scientists. So I guess it's, I just have a different perspective or view on it. I mean, what do you guys think?
1: No, I like that. I like that. uh, Like, I mean, vanity metric, number of books read, vanity metrics, how many people download my podcast, things that ultimately don't have an indication that i can't act on it i can't do anything to to improve it it doesn't really tell me much i agree with you i agree with everything you just said uh john david there but um i mean let me flip this back around to to adam like what is it that you are trying to accomplish and achieve like do you just want to get do you want to get a job and and uh start making oh god yeah uh
6: turn that sound off would be priority one Um, yeah but um well I, I think I want to get to a place where I don't feel like I would be sending out a hundred resumes to get a callback.
7: That's everyone. Um, like that's, that's. Hey, Adam, that's can it. I tell you about, yeah. can we talk about Molly? So Molly has no, she has worked in a, a job for a year where she basically copies and pastes data points from this CSV file to this CSV file she went on two interviews the second interview she got hired for an entry level data science job so i mean it's i maybe that's an anomaly so i don't know but it sounds like just get out there i mean i don't think the interviewers are saying are looking at the these resumes and saying what what is this person doing applying it's, I, I think that just Go, just get some. I mean, they have an ATS and it just automatically, if you
6: look at their job requirements, right? So you type in data scientist into LinkedIn.
1: Yeah. Right. So First hit that make, comes up. Then pause there. Good. Let me let me let me tell you yeah. the proper strategy to do this, right? So if you just apply for a job and click send and don't do anything after that, you're just giving it up to chance, right? First of all, you need to start with the assumption that any job that I apply for, there's probably only a one or two percent chance. There's only one or two percent of future realities where I end up with this job. Have that as your base rate for any job that you apply for because everything is a numbers game. But when you are in that job search process, there's things that you control that you should optimize for and things that you cannot control. Things that you can control, your resume, sending messages to technical recruiters inside the company, sending messages to uh, hiring managers that have director level, manager level type of titles, right? Sending them good messages, consistently following up, maybe, I don't know, maximum of of three times, send them a message once every five days for maximum of three times. And then if you don't hear anything back, cross it off your list, move on to the next one, but you will have to apply for many, many jobs. Um, But if you just, if you just hit submit and hope and pray that the ATS gods are going to pass your resume through their filter, then you are just not controlling what is in your control. You're just giving it up and, and, and hoping that something positive will come. Right. Uh, so take steps that are in your control to land that interview. Um,
6: so I have a question about that messaging them thing. Mm-hmm. If I were in their position, boy, would I hate that? And I would yeah. hate the people that did it. And yeah, but I...
1: you're, you're not a recruiter though, man. Right. Like what is a recruiter's job? A recruiter's job is to get people yeah. into roles that they have open. So you're not them. Right. (laughs) You're not them. Uh, So message a technical recruiter whose job it is to fill roles. Uh, That's their job, man. So getting messages, right. Um,
3: a dream come true it? for a technical recruiter. You know, it's like I did a little bit of that work for a little while. And if I could have gotten someone who like understood the company we were hiring for, or, like the job role of the company presented something coherent and it wasn't me going out and doing cold calls, that would have been my dream day if someone came in on my DMs and was like, Hey, I want like I'm interested in what you all do for X and was specific and kind and like thoughtful, like that would have been a dream. That that means like Hey, maybe I have a pathway to some commission here. Like if you think about it from their perspective, like that, it's a sales job. Like they're trying to sell, like they get commission mm. on that. It's not just um, like, that's money walking that's, that's in the, the door and throwing itself. Into that's your the mind. dream. Yeah. So, mm. so don't sell yourself short on that. And if you, you know, maybe they had, and you can't, um, you can't assume what kind of um, edict they have or what sort of uh, how they approach their job, you know, different recruiting offices work differently. If some is an agency versus in-house, this is like, but if you, you know, if, I think if you approach folks genuinely and you actually target with the way Harpreet and these folks are talking about, it's like, you know, th- there's no, you don't get put on some blacklist. That's for sure. Um, you just look enthusiastic and and maybe the time isn't right or it is, or it isn't, but um, I know I would have loved that as my as a technical recruiter. So just yeah, a little bit. Like of, I spoke thought.
6: to one not long ago, and um, she said, "Okay, so you're about to graduate." I'm like, "No, I'm going to still be weirdly stuck in school for a year, even though I took all the classes." And she said, "Oh, well, even though you don't have a degree, maybe I can uh, say that you have all this experience." I said, "No, this would be my first job," and she said, "Well, I don't know if I can help you then." So, and this was one for one of the biggest agency recruiters out there so no you know no diploma no experience no way
1: yeah so just like i said numbers game keep reaching out to people and sometimes the technical recruiters are like you know there are technical recruiters at facebook at amazon at company xyz they have their internal technical recruiters so whatever the company is that you are trying to apply for on linkedin go to the company page just type in technical recruiter and find the internal people and message them uh we're going to start wrapping up here. So I'm going to link you Thank to something right for now. all of this attention and help. Yeah, no problem. I'm sending you a link right now to, uh, to Vin. Do you know who Vin Vashista is? He's a good friend of mine. He's got this channel on YouTube called the high ROI data scientist. And uh, he's a giant in the field, a absolute legend in the field. Uh, somebody I truly respect and admire. And I think you will do well by um, checking out some of uh, his content um, at the thing. well you um, All right, guys. So uh, yeah, Austin's saying conversations will be valuable regardless of the outcome with recruiters. Absolutely. Um, well, thank you guys for hanging out. I know we went uh, quite a bit over time. It's probably like one of the l- longest uh, open office hours we had. So I appreciate having all you guys here and sticking with it. John, David, my friend, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. I appreciate having you here, taking time out of your schedule to hang out with us. Um, Austin, it's always a pleasure, my friend. Um, yeah, thanks. you yeah, guys, make sure you tune into the podcast. I released an episode uh, just a couple of days ago with the author of Liminal Thinking. Uh, his name is Dave Gray. He's written a number of awesome books, so definitely check those out and check out the the interview I did with him. Next week, I've got an interview released with, uh, with a good friend of mine, so it's more of a personal interview with just me and my, my friend talking. So if you want to learn a little bit more about me, then that'd be a good opportunity for you to do that. Guys, take care. Have a good rest of the weekend. Remember, you've got one life on this planet. Why not try to do something big? Cheers, everyone.